Hi, I'm Walt Lucan with FIA. Um, it's great to be back with our Market Voice podcast. I'm here with a distinguished guest, Jerome Kemp, who is president of Baton Systems. Uh, Jerome has a, a long 30-year history with our markets, and it's delightful to sit down with him. Now, Jerome began his career um, in J.P. Morgan, uh, working with that organization for many years, rising through the ranks, mostly on the FCM side of the business. Ultimately ended up running Citigroup's um, clearing business as well uh, before retiring, I put that in quotes, uh, to go enjoy more of a tech company in Baton Systems. And Jerome, I'd like to first get some thoughts from you, but you know, clearly um, in our markets today, there is more focus than ever on post-trade systems and technology is really coming to bear on trying to improve, make our markets more resilient. Can you talk a little bit of what Baton is doing, <clears throat> but more general, uh, why you think this movement's happening? Okay. Yeah, thanks. And, and thanks very much, uh, Walt, for uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, join you on this podcast uh, today. So, um, as you said, I did retire from, uh, from the FCM uh, world uh, back uh, in September of 2020. I really did think I was going to retire, but found after two weeks that I was sort of bouncing off the walls. Um, I was... Uh, uh, very um, fortuitously um, contacted by Arjun Jairam, the CEO of, um, of Bhutan, who I, I got to know during my time at City, and asked me to become an advisor there. I was very intrigued because what Bhutan does is that they're taking new technologies, namely distributed ledger technology, to help solve some very real problems in the post-trade space. And the applicability is very large. It, it can apply to FX settlements, to the movement of margin, to the movement of collateral, to essentially the settlement or movement of, you know, of any flow of cash and securities that arises uh, you know, following a market's transaction. And for me, this is particularly uh, meaningful. I mean, over my career as an FCM, it seems we focused uh, very intently on you know, how quick we could execute a trade. And I remember even at the early days at JP Morgan when we you know, first started to build our electronic execution platforms, we were you know, absolutely thrilled that we could sort of execute a BUN contract in a, in a second, right? And you know, fast forward to 30, uh, 30 years later, you know, how we were sort of down to sort of uh, microsecond latencies in terms of our execution. The thing that's always sort of been sort of this point of uh, bifurcation though is that you can execute in essentially you know, real time, and then when it comes to actually settling a trade or moving margin, you're looking at at least 24 hours. And you know, the implications of that are, are massive. Huge settlement risk and exposure questions that drive very major sort of capital issues that I know, you know FIA has focused on yep. considerably over, over the years. I focus on it as well, obviously, in my, in my roles. Um, proposes you know, numerous issues around funding yep. and how you know, an institution manages its liquidity. Um, so I think that you know the time has come, and I think you even alluded to it to it earlier um, in your opening address here at the uh, IDX conference this week, that this uh, this narrowing of the gap between executing a trade and settling a trade, you know, the time has come for this to essentially be resolved, and that's the specific area that Baton is focusing on. And was there? specific event that occurred um, in recent years, I think back to March of 2020 with the mm -hmm. volatility, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, fixing these things that are nice to have, but maybe not need to have in the background, we don't always get to it. It seems like you said, 
you know, the real money was on the pre-trade side of technology investments. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but 2020 really exposed where some vulnerabilities were in the system. Talk us through how you think that may have been the, the instigator of, of some of the actions that have transpired. I think, yeah, 2020, I do think, was kind of a watershed moment for many operating in, 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 in the FCM industry, let's, yeah. uh, let's say. Um, you know, for me as a major of a very large uh, FCM, uh, volatility was extreme. Uh, the price movements were extreme, driving, you know, very, very large margin movements. And um, uh, again, waiting for sort of that overnight settlement process to take place. You know, while we have very good risk systems and, and very good credit analytics, at the end of the day, you are waiting for the check to arrive in the mail, you know, figuratively right. speaking. But it wasn't only on the FCM side that I think this realization or this aha moment happened. CCPs, we all know, you know, experienced some difficulties as well. Systems kind of gummed up. Trades weren't getting allocated, which obviously has a knock-on effect to, you know, the, the efficiency around the margining process. And all of that, you know, drives, you know, some, uh, you know, very, you know, very significant con concerns. Regulators also, you know, obviously focused on this, uh, you know, very intently as well. And we've seen in the aftermath, you know, regulators saying something needs to be done. Uh, even, you know, in the FX world, the, uh, the, the new global code, you know, is very vocal about, you know, driving towards, uh, you know, a broader application of riskless or payment versus payment type of settlement um, <clears throat> mechanisms being available in the market. So for me, you know, and I think the FCM community at large, I mean, whether you're talking about, you know, the COVID-related volatility or even the volatility, take it a few years back when Brexit was voted or when, you know, Trump was elected. Remember, we had very volatile markets. Right. Mar markets. Uh, and uh, I think we all sort of, we got through it. I mean, right. and we always, you know, congratulate ourselves that we've done right. a good job. We go, we, we dodged that bullet. I think it's come to the point where we, we got to stop, you know, feeling good that we dodged another bullet because at some point I think that bullet is going to hit. And yeah, Nick Solinger has, uh, with FIA Tech has, has <clears throat> produced some interesting graphs and we saw that yesterday in mm. one of our public roundtables mm. yesterday on this topic. Uh, 2020, the amount of, of, of trades that were not settled on T <clears throat> and the backlog, um, you know, was somewhere in the order of 25%, I think, during those super volatile times. They were settled eventually in the next couple of days. Mm. Um, you know, fast forward to the Ukraine invasion, uh, recently, net number went down to 14%. 14% is still too much. Yep. But I think for us, uh, we need to, you know, make sure that we're we're um, moving in the right direction. So the new technologies that you're talking about, DLT, um, cloud, could be a potential in this area. Uh, so Baton is offering something, but this is a broader trend that we're seeing all across the, the board here, that everybody is working in this area. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think there, there's a lot of focus on this right now. Where I think the, the gap exists though today, Walt, is really, you know, in sort of, you know, thinking about this or, you know, sort of doing a science project about it and actually sort of, you know, applying this and being able to apply this in, in the real world. And I think it's important uh, that we perhaps take a step back and be very clear as to, you know, what we want to solve. 
we're in a market uh, today where we're seeing an incredible uh, sort of uh, you know evolutionary phase around the types of assets that trade. We've seen the emergence of crypto over the past couple of years. Uh, there's a lot of talk about central bank digital currencies, uh, stable coins for what it's worth. We can still talk about those uh, uh, as well. But there's a, a new generation of assets that are evolving, which will be digital, which will be smart. Uh, and that's going to require mechanisms in the post-trade space that will be able to essentially uh, move these various new assets uh, around, interact with them, and to actually settle them as well. And so none of that infrastructure really exists today. Well, very little. I think what we're doing at Baton, we are in production and we are settling assets, uh, you know, every day, real assets. If you cannot solve for real assets today, there's no way that you're going to have an infrastructure that will be able to essentially accommodate these, you know, new, you know, assets uh, uh, of tomorrow. So. So I think that the, you know, the industry does need to take a very serious sort of step back, focus on solving real problems in the real world that will also have applicability to you know, the realities that we'll most likely be facing in five, 10 years down the road. That's what our mission is today. And what do you think about these new entrants that are, are in some ways leapfrogging some of our market structure that it currently exists? FTX has talked about quite a bit, mm. um, where they're coming in with a clean piece of paper and they're rethinking ways of doing this. Um, you know, I, I, I remember the, the example of Africa and developing phone systems. Mm. They didn't put in landlines. They went leapfrogged everybody into cell service, you know, and they have the advantage of not pulling along years of infrastructure behind them, mm -hmm. like some of Western countries. I'm just curious your thoughts about, you know, whether there will be a leapfrog moment in our industry or whether you think we'll continue to make progress um, on, on the margins, as you've mentioned, with systems like Baton. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thought, though, I think that sort of the term leapfrog uh, as applied to, you know, for instance, what we do in the FCM space, which is essentially, you know, intermediating credit, uh, doing, you know, intensive risk management vis-a-vis -vis our clients and their exposures on various CCPs, they don't make good bedfellows in the same sentence. I wouldn't yeah. want to leapfrog in a structure that plays such a critical role in terms of, you know, the broader concerns of, uh, uh, of market uh, stability uh, and, and soundness. So, um, you know, quite frankly, I, I'm not sure that there will be or that there should be uh, a leapfrog, uh, you know, moment uh, in, in, in the FCM industry. Um, and you're, and you're, you're having been, you know, the head of a, of a couple FCMs over mm -hmm. your career and now in the technology space, mm -hmm. you can see both sides of, of this in some ways. Do you think there is an important role in the future for FCMs and inter intermediation for some of the things you've talked <clears throat> about? Absolutely. But I do think that the, that the FCM community does, does need to have its moment of reckoning. Yeah. Um, I have said, uh, I dropped a piece onto risk.net a couple of weeks ago where I said the FCM model is broken. And when I say it's broken, I mean that, you know, it, the, the infrastructures that the FCM, you know, uh, industry generally speaking, rely on to essentially settle trades and essentially neutralize risk uh, are no longer fit for purpose. Right. And what is the flip side or the upside of that message is that the technologies that have, de technologies that have developed over the past uh, number of years, such as the distributed ledger, offer incredible opportunities for um, FCMs and the broader market it's not only, you know, um, you know, become much more efficient in, in, in terms of how they settle, 
but to, to obviously benefit uh, from the you know the advantages that 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 derive from that, you know, uh, a reduction of settlement risk. Uh, I'd much prefer to you know on demand say, Walt, you owe me a hundred dollars, send it, and in, in two minutes have that hundred dollars. Yep. I know that that's final. That's my hundred dollars now, rather than saying, okay, Jerome, I'll send you a check, and oh, the postal service is on strike, and I, I you know, the check comes three, three weeks later. Not only that, um, you know, getting your money in two minutes, I don't have to go and borrow another $100 from my friend because I need to use that money for, for something right. else. So maybe I'm oversimplifying here, but I think that there are massive advantages that are, are you know, you know at, within reach uh, 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 of market participants and, and particularly those in the FCM community. One thing that really fascinates me and something we're really starting to focus on now at the Tom is to apply what we've done in the distributed ledger space, apply what we've done in our ability to move collateral and cash very efficiently to the on-demand movement of margin on an intraday basis. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine, you know how margin sort of accumulates and uh, then sort of uh, you know moves uh, you know pretty much in a one time a day batch. Um, if you were able as an FCM to say, Client, um, you, know, you see, you know, your margin requirement has gotten to you know a threshold level for us. You know, let's um, let's settle this now. That has massive implications, I think, not only from a risk management point of view, but potentially from a, a capital point of view as well. And that's FCM to client settlement. Exactly, because yeah. that's where the, that's where that's where the risk is, right. and and certainly where the the capital exposure is. The FCM to the CCP obviously has zero weighting. Uh, where the FCM really sort of, you know, sort of gets it, you know, full on in terms of RWA and the capital costs arising is on those ongoing exposures and uh, or potential exposures uh, between itself and its client base. So I think that this is probably the next big thing that uh, we'll really start to talk about, you know, in the specifically in the FCM space. Because we've always talked about time horizon risk with the FCM, but mm -hmm. uh, we deal with such things as holiday processing, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, banks are, are open or exchanges are closed or exchanges are open, banks are closed um, and you're not able to collect from clients um, exactly. during that time. So it sounds like this might be able to help sort of bridge that gap potentially. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, we've all been there. Right. Golden Week in Japan or, right. you know, uh, uh, Tet celebrations in Southeast Asia or, or you know, Chinese New Year, uh, even, you know, sort of, you know, the numerous Jewish holidays impacting right. Israeli banks. Um, you know, we've always had these conversations. Well, you know, we're not on holiday. Our risk management isn't on holiday. We're going to have to find a way, you know, to get the money across. And and uh, I think that these new technologies will allow us to essentially, you know, I impact in a very significant way the exchange of ownership and the satisfaction of obligations, you know, outside of those limitations imposed by, you know, you know, closures that, you know, impact, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, uh, banking jurisdictions around the world. And do you get a sense that some of that quickening of settlement could have downstream effects on capital um, for those institutions? Eventually. I think, you know, a lot about, you know, SACCR, I mean, very, very, very sort of high level. SACCR is based upon potential future exposure. Right. And also replacement cost, right? So replacement cost is driven by, you know, hypothetically, if, you know, I... Uh, if I don't get paid, you know, what will I have to do in order to essentially, you know, replicate the position or you right. know, do something else? By being able to essentially satisfy that obligation, you know, relative to margin due between a client yeah. and an FCM, I think that that go a very long way in, in terms of uh, 
how uh, essentially specifically replacement cost is considered. Uh, the margin period risk uh, relative to the satisfaction of margin, I think theoretically should reduce significantly. Uh, and uh, indeed, if that does settle to market, that is a, a massive uh, you know, advantage uh, that's uh, you know, again within reach uh, of the FCM. So yeah, no. This this idea of real time margining to me is fascinating, mm -hmm. and you know, it, it's part of the FTX solution that you're talking about. But I think it almost needs to be thought through on its own because I think it has lots of implications that would be beneficial for our markets. Right. Yeah, and I think you know the FTX solution, you know, does take it to a certain point. Um, I think you've pointed it out as well, you know, in your testimony and uh, at this CFTC roundtable as well, that there are still, you know, a number of, uh, of gaps that need to be addressed, particularly in, in respect of, uh, of um, upfront, you know, just uh, you know, client, uh, you know, we'll call it, um, you know, eligibility to trade sure. in the first place, and that. The, the role that the FCM plays in terms of looking at a client, knowing the client, understanding the client's risk profile, uh, all those types of things, but also you know managing default as well, yeah. um, because we have seen markets you know go very fast, very volatile. Everything sort of points the same way, and I think that you know those challenges of uh, managing you know the orderly nature of market exchanges is 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 going to remain a very you know significant feature of markets. Uh, uh, as they continue to evolve. And in that respect, I think FCMs play a fundamentally important role. Well, you helped when you were chair of FIA um, have our organization think about standards and how do we can standardize some of the post-trade mm -hmm. um, issues. Mm -hmm. FIA recently yep. announced the, the launching of our Derivatives Market Institute for Standards. Yep. I think the idea is that we have to speak the same language. For some of this technology to work, mm -hmm. we have to be talking the same language. So I think the focus of this has been give up standardization or uh, allocations <coughs> and average pricing. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious your thoughts on where standardization falls in, in the, the pecking order of what we need to do to get our house in order. Yeah. I think, uh, Walt, that the DMIST um, initiative uh, that you've launched is brilliant. Um, well, it's brilliant because you helped us launch it. No, no, no. I had nothing to do with that. But um, when you were talking about it yesterday in your opening address, uh, one of the first things I did when I got back to Baton's office here in London was to go on online. To, to look at it because yeah. we're very keen in terms of participating on this. Clearly, if everyone is speaking the same language, that there is that standardization, then that opens uh, you know a, 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 a massive uh, world of opportunity. And we've seen you know just uh, how that standardization of protocols you know has impact you know other you know key areas of uh, of uh, call it the technologies that we interact with today. Um, yeah, you know, the internet as a starting point. Right. Is, uh, what are the protocols of the internet? Somebody had to think through those, right? Exactly. I mean, you remember back in the early days where yeah. there were all sorts of uh, you know internet access providers, and uh, over the years, that's essentially boiled down to to one major provider. Right. 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 Well, I, th I thought about it, and I, I put it in terms of Apple and its operating system. Mm -hmm. You know that they they've created this app network that allow mm -hmm. com you know all these competitive apps to join and yeah. and to to 
do things that people want them to solve. And right. um, it's been amazing. And hopefully we're creating a competitive atmosphere for technology yeah. providers to come in and solve all these problems. I completely agree. Because I think with that standardization, you do open up the field uh, to a very healthy competitive environment because everyone will be active, uh, interacting with the same uh, protocols. And then it really, who's got the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the best app, the best widget, the best technology, the best idea will, you know, win, win the race. Well, Jerome, one question I wanted to ask you a bit off the substance uh, we're talking about today, but one of your initiatives when you were head of FIA was launching our Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Mm. Um, we had a great session this morning with some rising stars of our industry from that <clears throat> community, mm -hmm. and uh, we were able to to um, hopefully create a peer network for those individuals at a mm -hmm. breakfast this morning. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted you, now that you're on the technology side too, another industry known for not having as much diversity, diversity as uh, we would like, um, what can we be doing better to make sure that we're, we're keeping the arrow pointed up on making sure we have more of a pipeline of talent coming into yeah. our industry? Uh, into yeah, I think you know, a couple of things that you at FIA have been focused on are, are, are really worth mentioning. Greenwood, I think, yep. would be at the top of my list. Um, when I was at the Chicago conference last November, I was particularly moved actually by um, the um, the, uh, the presentations by the various uh, you know Greenwood uh, uh, participants, and, and glad to see that they're becoming very much a, a fixture in terms of the broader uh, FIA um, uh, you know network. But beyond that, I think that there is also, um, you know, things that uh, we can be doing. There are multiple initiatives, or multiple. There are a few initiatives, and FIA has highlighted them. Uh, Girls Who Code, for instance, uh, bringing more female representation into technology is um, something that I think that uh, we could perhaps be a bit more focused on. Interestingly, you know, Bataan has a very large engineering uh, uh, team based in Chennai in India. And, uh, you know, looking at diversity statistics here, there's a much better balance between male-female in engineering. Uh, we're essentially at 50-50, which uh, I think is, is very interesting. And uh, being able to sort of reach for that, you know, better representation of uh, females, you know, in, uh, you know, not only technology roles, but particularly senior technology roles is, uh, is, is quite interesting. But I also think that there's just a broader awareness in the industry, you know, generally speaking, in terms of, uh, you know, gender diversity. Uh, Alicia Crichton is the first uh, woman to occupy the chair uh, of your board, which is very exciting. Um, Jane Fraser is the CEO of, uh, of Citigroup, which is, which is very exciting. Um, and, um, you know, I think, you know, that uh, there is a, just a, a natural tendency to, you know, just have very front of mind, be very front of mind about, um, um, you know, uh, diversity issues, particularly from, you know, gender and inclusivity, um, you know, that, you know, drive our, our decisions as, you know, CEOs and, and presidents and, uh, and senior managers of organizations. So, you know, I'm thrilled to see, you know, the, the, the example that FIA is setting, and thank you very much for, for recognizing uh, the focus that I brought to, to that. Um, but um, I think that this can only bring, you know, good things to, uh, to you know, the companies that, 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 we, that we operate in. It's this morning at our Rising Star Breakfast, Carla Stent, who was our speaker, <clears throat> guest speaker, who's chair of Merex, and <clears throat> she's had a long distinguished career, uh, but she was talking about, you know, how she got her break and other things, and <clears throat> she was asked to take on this initiative at Barclays 
Um, and at the time, the CEO of, of Barclays had two daughters who were struggling to get into financial services. They became real to him. I know you have a couple of daughters. I have a daughter. So that mm -hmm. makes it real to people, right? When yeah. they're seeing glass barriers for their own, their own family. Um, yeah. So we have to keep keep making progress here and, and keeping, we have a super powerful platform at FIA. I sometimes forget that it's powerful. We just got to keep talking about it. No, no, absolutely. This is, um, we live in a very complicated world and the, yeah. the more that we can stop uh, sort of uh, looking at, uh, you know, what color you are or, you know, who you choose to build your life with or what you believe in, I think the better off we'll all be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to end on just sort of your sort of sentiment, a sentiment survey of sure. where you think we're going. I think, you know, we've, we've heard some very bullish things uh, over the last couple of days. I made the case that although there's a lot of strife in the world, a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, that our markets as risk management markets, um, they're very <laughs> bullish given, you know, the commodity markets, given our, our, our transition to a zero carbon economy, mm -hmm. Um, digital assets you've already talked about and the innovation that your company and others are bringing to it. I'm just curious your thoughts as a longtime veteran of our industry, where do you see us and our future ahead? I, I, I'm actually very bullish um, yeah. uh, as to the future and I actually think that we're sort of on the threshold of a very exciting new chapter in terms of market evolution. I, th I would argue that over the past, um, well since the GFC 2008 and certainly since Dodd-Frank, you know, most of us operating in the FCM space, we pretty much had heads down, you know, focused on our Basel III issues, on our risk management issues, on our funding issues. Um, we've been very inwardly focused, uh, uh, devising means by which we could adapt to the new regula regulatory and market realities. I think that uh, we've gotten to a point where we understand these issues much, much better. And to a large extent, I would argue that um, these things uh, are no longer sort of uh, sort of on the uh, you know uh, on the main stage. Um, they're still very important. Don't get me wrong, but now for the first time in many many years, we have the time to essentially you know start to focus on what we really do well, and that's innovating and driving you know positive change. So I think as you know some of these you know the, the fabulous minds that work in this industry start to pivot away from sort of this in, inward focus to driving some of the broader issues that are going to take markets to this very exciting next chapter of digitization, of better efficiency, of uh, you know, better um, overall sort of, uh, call it uh, risk management, um, that we're going to see some very, very exciting things. So, you know, I'm, I remain, you know, very bullish against the very admittedly dour or dire, you know, background today. That too will evolve. I tend to be an optimist. I mean, you cannot survive in this industry <laughs> 30 years, you know this very well, yeah. uh, without being an optimist and with the essential conviction that uh, things will work themselves out, things will get better, and we'll live to see another day. Well, Jerome, thank you so much for sitting down today. I appreciate personally everything you've done for the FIA over the years, and we're so thankful you're still you know, in our industry, giving your thought leadership to a lot of initiatives. So appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Walt. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal, or professional advice to any individual or entity. 
unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual, or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties, or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast content. Reliance on the podcast contents is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale, or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2022 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.